Hey everyone, this is Cameron from Renegade Animation on RenegadePopCulture.com. If you like what we do, please give us a like, a follow, and a rating on Apple Podcast and wherever you listen to us. We are everywhere. That way, we can keep doing what we love, and that's talking about animation. And now, on with the show. What's going on, guys? Welcome to another episode of Renegade Animation on the Renegade Pop Culture Podcast Network. My name is Mike. I'll be your host this evening. Joining me, as always, is the animation guru himself, Cameron. Howdy, howdy. And today, we are totally not sponsored by Netflix, but in all seriousness, we are still doing a little bit of 2022 catch-up with three, honestly, very distinct series. We have Lookism from Studio Mir. We've got Dragon Age Absolution and Sonic Prime. Yeah, so we decided to start with the heaviest topic of the three, which is Lookism, which is based off of a manhwa by Park Tae-jung and... Like Mike said, it's produced by Studio Mir, directed by Kwong Hee Han, and was released on Netflix uh, December 8th. The story is that Park Hyun Sok is an unpopular and bullied high school student who is looked down upon by his fellow students for his obesity. Bullied and harassed every day by a delinquent, he takes out his anger verbally on his mother and asks for a school transfer. Resolving to run away from his problems and start anew, he moves to Seoul, and plans to attend a new high school. A few nights before he begins school, however, he receives a new body that is tall, muscular, and handsome. When one body is in use, the other falls asleep. He can switch bodies by waking up the sleeping one. Content warning, a lot of verbal abuse and bullying. Just a lot of it. Like, 70% of this show is watching the worst kind of people bully others for how they look. I didn't realize that lookism wasn't just like a fancy title. It's an actual thing. And that's so messed up. I shouldn't be shocked that it exists because, you know, the world can be a terrible, hurtful, and mean place. So, of course, there is something about discriminating against people who are considered physically unattractive. Yeah, the first, like, path of this series was, at times, pretty tough to watch just because... Their depictions of bullying can get pretty graphic. Luckily, it's not like we see any like sexual assault. It's mostly just big tough guys beating up on other people just for how they look. Yeah, it's really uncomfortable to sit through. And that's the point. It's to put these characters at their lowest point and then to give them not an entire get out of jail free card or a way out, but a, I guess I wouldn't call it like a, like a freebie, like to enjoy life because the whole show's angle is to put our character who is one of the targets of the bullying into the shoes of like, what it would be like to be one of the most gorgeous looking people of on earth. And just to see how from that perspective, how most people treat good-looking individuals. And it's no shock that they get better treatment by society and how they look down upon anyone who might be overweight or nerdy or poor. Like, even the show, as it ends, is a little more positive, but it's not like they're out of the weeds 
like the tall grass and such yet. Oh yeah. The show does a very solid job at balancing out the commentary shown from both sides of Park being the good looking side where he he uses a good looking body to go to school and makes all the friends there while his default mode is used to work at a convenience store at night so he doesn't have to deal with people. But because of how he looks, ends up dealing with the darker side and like the seedy underbelly of humanity's worst interactions with other humans. If you're not into seeing intense amounts of bullying, this will probably not be the show for you to watch or the manhwa to read. Now, what did you think about how they approached the story? I thought it was at the very least interesting how there is a a bit of like I guess kind of magical realism where Park is like one of the only people who has this ability to literally switch bodies and sort of experience both sides of this like conflict. Yeah, it was very interesting to see like because he went to to the new school for like one day and just got fully like hell. And then when the whole body swap thing happens, he goes back and he's just like whoa, I'm being treated better now. But it's also like, that is intensely messed up. It's not like a fairy tale. It's more like a Brothers Grimm story of someone experiencing the same thing, but from a different perspective. While I don't think the first season or the first part, whatever Netflix decides to label this to avoid paying their teams more, they don't really focus on the arc of other people getting better for the sake of like being less crummy people it's more about how park and like he changes because at first he goes through the whole like man i love being good looking and such and then he realizes like okay wait a minute i'm just about to become the people i hate so why not use my good looks during the day to make the world a better place and from his interactions with the people like during the day do result in conflict and then peace and then actual friendship at night because some of the same people that Park hangs out with during the day hang out with him at night and such and they become friends and they're even like tough people who are like I don't like bullies so I'm gonna beat the tar out of you for you know taking advantage of other people there's a lot of nuance there's a lot of potential to see where exactly the arc of the story goes And I think this is why I like the second half a little bit better because the story with the supporting cast becomes more interesting. Like, for example, the boxer, Li Jin, because of his interactions with Park, he becomes less of the bully and more of like an actual friend. And then we also have Jae Hong, who is like the quiet, wealthy individual with the hair covering his eyes who sees the kindness and decides to help other people. And then we have Vasco, who is the Robin Hood-like individual who helps everyone and then doesn't like seeing people getting taken advantage of. And through a lot of the misunderstandings from like the first four to the latter four, he thinks that Park's good-looking body is like a bad guy taking advantage of people because of his good looks and kindness. And then 
he realizes through word of mouth from Park's other friends that he's like, okay, so he's not a bad person. All right, I will stand by him, which is cool. I think Bosco was my favorite character of the show. Yeah, Bosco was great. And uh, Keiji Tang did a great job as the character. Like, the English dub does a very good job of bringing out these characters. Like, I want to see more of Zoe Park, the more, like, traditional, pretty Daphne from Scooby-Doo kind of character. Oh, yeah. Like, I want to see where her arc goes, because they start to plant the seeds of her stop being, like, so vain. Just being like, looks are all that you need. Mira Kim doesn't quite get a lot of screen time. She's just kind of there... To tell Zach Lee to like stop being a pill. And then as the show goes on, like as Park is using his good looking body to change the perspective of certain people around the school, he starts to basically change how people react to one another. Like it's there, it's just not as much as I think I would have personally liked. Then when we get into the second half, when like Park is hanging out with the guy who wants to be a rapper but can't quite get the help that he needs because of how he looks, which again, the whole show is all about how people who are less than Adonis looking are treated like garbage. Gets to be like at that point where he can be like the rapper and then like show off his talent and such, which his story has a very bittersweet ending to it. Like his arc of like finally becoming a rapper. See a lot of people being like, man, he's really good. And the music producer doesn't go to him. He goes to park, which like, golly, that's accurate. That really stung seeing that scene. I'm like, I really thought he was going to be like, you're pretty good. Sorry. We ignored you at the first audition. And then he just gets the football swept right from under his feet. The character that we're talking about is Duke. And like another good point of this show's presentation is the music. That opening is killer. I adored the dancing and the lip syncing to the theme song. Like I wish it wasn't just the good looking characters, even though I get it. But I overall enjoyed the opening uh, theme to the show the opening is a lot of fun as far as the overall animation i won't pretend like this is studio mirror's best work but it is kind of cool that far as i know this is at least the first that i've seen of the studio actually doing like an actual korean adaptation mostly they've been known for working on shows for a western audience yeah like for everyone else but them like they did a film for China called Big Fish and Begonia, which like Studio Mir has a look. There's no misidentifying them. Though with uh, the Dragon Age Absolution, I thought that Studio Mir was working with them, but it's an entirely different company. But I assume that people who work at this company, who worked on Dragon Age, did work on Mir because they have some of the same DNA and such of how, if you had to ask me how you can tell Studio Mir worked on something, It's how the characters move. It's a movement kind of thing. Everything from their body language to what stands out to me personally is facial expressions. Yeah, I mean, there's a reason why they worked on the boondocks. And you can, like, after finding that out, it's like, oh, that makes a lot of sense when you rewatch the boondocks and such. And they also did stuff for, like, Justice League Outsiders, 
they were the studio that did Legend of Korra and Voltron, Dota's Dragon Blood, and like a bunch of other things, including the Batman and Superman Battle of the Super Sons, which showed off their CGI capabilities. And this show does use a bit of CGI. Granted, the crowd shots don't look as good as the big musical performance on the eighth episode, but they're a good company. They're a good animation house. So even like their weaker faults are probably either due to time and money and are still going to be better. Like if any studio hits X arm levels of bad CGI, there's a problem. Studio Mirror's weakest CGI is still better than (laughs) X-Arm. Yeah. One of the, like, few things I did like about the ending is, well, first of all, I do hope there's a second season. I think Lookism deserves a second season because they drop a bomb, like a twist, of, like, when Park is doing his night shift at the convenience store, he keeps seeing this super lovely young woman who's voiced by Haley Kim. And throughout the, like, the arc of, like, she thinks that, like, Park's good-looking side is just very shallow. Like, oh, you just go by looks and then realizes, well, I'm sorry. And she, you realize in the last episode that she also has a second body. So the good-looking one you see is the lookism body. And it's like, well, you gave us that. You can't just leave us hanging man (laughs) right no it's a very solid series it's a little clunky in some regards like i don't think it handles everything perfectly and i wish they did a little more progression of everyone at the school becoming better and not the worst because man this show sometimes like as nuanced as it can be and as heartfelt some moments are when they want you to see the worst people ever boy, do they just have like one level for the worst people. It's just like utter scumbag <laughs> level, which it's like, okay, I get it, but it's a, I don't like sitting here with this one character who chooses not to grow or stop being the worst. <laughs> Basically like the vocal class group. Yeah, the ones were going to be the big breakout group at the festival. And then they're just like, what how did we lose and the music exec was just like well you had no soul (laughs) even though they dumped so much money into this apparently for a school festival (laughs) like i'm sorry i just think that's hilarious that it's like we spent ten thousand dollars on a good songwriter for this and it's like why i mean i get it that's the point these guys were good looking so they were going to have the money dumped on them to get what they want. And yet the results are clear as day. Exactly. No, it's like when I used to watch The Voice, you could tell who the better musicians and contestants were if they were singer-songwriters. It's not always the case, but there is an absolute difference between someone who's just a good singer and someone who can do both. I would recommend this show. I mean, if you can't handle the bullying stuff i'd recommend skipping it but i enjoyed it i would say proceed with caution if you can handle the first half then you're good to go but for now we must journey to the video game franchise of dragon age to tackle 
not the first animated adaptation of Dragon Age, but the first TV series for the franchise. Dragon Age Absolution. The world that it takes place in is called uh, Thetis, which is, you know, from the franchise and all that jazz. And we follow Miriam, voiced by Kimberly Brooks, who's an elven mercenary who joins up with a group of people to pull off a heist. And then that heist goes horribly wrong. <laughs> or, you know, it's just like, oh, we're going to steal the lamp. And then it's like, oh, it's not really about the lamp, is it? <laughs> it's that kind of thing. For people who have played Dragon Age, like Dragon Age 1, 2, and then Inquisition, this is chronologically takes place after the third game. But for newcomers, it's definitely not going to be a huge barrier to jump through just to understand the characters drive the world around them because the only character that i found that were from the games were like from two characters there's uh, cassandra pentagast and then fairbanks the freedom fighter voiced by critical roles matthew mercer are from the previous games but outside of that you're good to go that's one thing i like about this is that even though this does take place like pretty much within the world of the games because these are all basically new characters like you don't really have to know the lore but if you do it's kind of like a bonus yeah because the dragon age games were very interesting in that regards they didn't quite have a reoccurring story in cast of characters. Some characters would be like there throughout all the games or some would appear in one or two games. But it was more like a Dungeons and Dragons game. You play a new session. Well, now you got a batch of new characters to whiff. And sometimes like with Critical Role or something, you would bring back characters from certain campaigns to appear in the story of the current one and what have you. Anyway, I'm showing my nerdy side for Dungeons and Dragons and Pathfinders during probably the worst time to do so, if y'all haven't been keeping up with Wizards of the Coast and Hasbro burning all their bridges recently. Yeah, I've heard about that. It's um it's a lot. Yeah. Ah, I was gonna be a I was setting up to be a dungeon master for my friends and now I have to recalibrate everything for pathfinder anyway let's actually talk about dragon age absolution so the production house for this for this show is red dog culture house and they've worked on quite a lot of things from centaur world and they worked on like a few chinese or korean anime series which i've seen a few of them they've showed up on netflix I think they're still on Netflix if my memory serves me correctly. Like I said back when we were talking about lookism, it may or may not be coincidental that a lot of people who worked on at Studio Mirror or the studio that came out before Studio Mirror worked on this one because they worked on like The Witcher, Nightmare of the Wolf, Heaven's Official Blessing. The good hunting short from Love, Death, and Robots, you know, the one with the 
guy falling in love with the fox spirit. That was a good one. The Seven Deadly Sins Grand Cross, which I promotional video for the game for the franchise, which I don't think we're going to tackle the movies until the second part of the recent CGI one comes out. But I think in like an overall experience of Dragon Age Absolution, while it definitely feels like one of those like, okay, these six episodes are all build up to something grander in scale, they still give you quite a lot of story, like enough story to make for a satisfying watch. But I do hope there's more. (laughs) Yeah. For those who don't know, usually Cameron knows how much I'm like into a series when the second I finish, I basically turn into Oliver saying like, please, sir, may have some more. Exactly. Like, while this is mostly, like, a heist mission quest, it does go into, like, the history of, like, Miriam, who was a slave in the location that they're pulling off this heist, and there's a lot of personal baggage with her and Hira, voiced by Sumali Motano, who obviously something happens, and... Miriam is just like, I really don't want to be back here. Something on a personal, emotional level is activating when she thinks about her time there. And once again, it's a show that is like content warning is dealing with like slavery, abuse, and a lot of blood. A lot of blood. And the like overarching drama is between Miriam and her friendship and relationship like not romantic relationship but like knowing them with Rezarin Amosin who is a Teventer magister who's looking for a mysterious artifact that Miriam and her team are trying to steal Rezarin is also voiced by Josh Keaton Tasia is the like right hand to Rezarin who is voiced by Zara Fazal and Rezarin wants Miriam to not steal and be like, come back with us. Work, I'm going to make sure that you're not enslaved or we don't enslave other elves. And yet, Dragon Age has a lot of situations of like the elven kind being enslaved. Kind of like the Witcher series. And now thinking about Nightmare or the Wolf and such. The moment you kind of pick up something is off about Rezarin, he turns into one of those, I just want a better world for everyone. Even if it means killing everyone. And everyone's like, wait, wait, what was that last part? Can you rewind? (laughs) He's one of those, definitely one of those corrupt sort of, the series is called Absolution, but that does kind of make sense for his character. He's corrupted by his own altruism. And the drama, for the most part, is very compelling. Even if it sometimes lingers on the, like, mellowing on, like, the angst and such from Miriam. Which, I mean, I get it. Like, I know a lot of people like to make fun of, like, angsty emo characters from anime and other action shows and what have you. But, you know, when you look back at all the nonsense that she went through. And, like, some of the things that she sees and such while back in this place. I don't blame her for being really standoffish, wanting to make sure to get back with Hira and to make sure they all get out alive, not have to deal with something like, oh, I don't know, a dragon, which, you know, it's like the ultimate threat is every time a dragon. 
<laughs> yeah, makes sense. Now, what did you think about our cast? Because every fantasy show lives and dies by its cast. We have Miriam the Elf. We have Farrah Banks, the Thief. We have Quidian, voiced by Ashley Birch, who is a lighthearted Quinari mage. We have Hera, the human mage. We have Roland, Miriam's ally in, at hand, voiced by the ever and always amazing Phil Lamar. I was so happy to see Phil Lamar here. It's like it's been a while since I've heard his voice. And Lachlan, a dwarf fighter barbarian who's voiced by Keston John. And he's the most standoffish against Miriam and such, mostly because he's just kind of there for the gold. He wants to keep everyone at like an emotional distance, but he has like a heart of gold. Like you have to break through to him and such. But what did you think of our main six cast members? It's a fun group. Each one of these characters has a very unique personality. Each of their voice actors brings a lot to the table. Ashley Birch especially, I can just tell, is having the time of her life playing Quidian. She gets like the most laughs out of everyone. And then the one thing I was kind of spoiled on before I started watching, but... There's kind of a romance between Roland and Lachlan. Yay, a very progressive series. Well, I'm aware that the video games too are similarly progressive. Yeah, basically you could romance. Well, you can't romance literally whoever, but any of the main cast members you can get into romantic relationships with. Sometimes, depending on the Bioware game, it would limit to who you could romance. But I think this is a very rock-solid cast of characters. It's maybe not my favorite group of fantasy heroes, and maybe it's just because I'm spoiled beyond what kind of, like, Pathfinder or tabletop parties I've been a part of. But I think they're all very likable. I think, yeah, Roland and Lachlan have some of the best chemistry in Dynamics. Quidian is definitely there to be the like the soul of the group, to be like, how about we don't kill each other and we kill whatever's about to chase after us? <laughs> it's got a lot of good drama. It's got good character dynamics. Some of the stuff you probably get from like what's going to happen and such. Nothing against Matthew Mercer, but knowing how he's the dungeon master for Critical Role a majority of the time, I was kind of expecting Farrah Banks to pull one on the rest of the party <laughs> it's always the rogue let's just say that mm -hmm. and for like the animation quality for people who obviously worked at studio mirror before becoming part of the red dog culture house studio it's about as violent and action-packed as the witcher film that they worked on so expect good dynamic fighting, good well-executed choreography, good camera movements. It doesn't just rely on like the amount of blood you see or like Quidian being like, I'm just going to blow everything up. <laughs> it does look good. I think this probably looks a little more polished than the stuff seen from Studio Mir. Yeah, I would probably agree. Even in like the first episode when Miriam and Roland are like, are taking out what I think is like their old crew. Like that was a great introduction to how the rest of the series was going to convey its action scenes. 
Right, right. No, it was a very good introduction, especially with Miriam and Roland setting up the distraction for them to sneak in. I love that he says like, oh, I'm sure you did some overly complicated plan and to get us inside. And she's like, no, I just bribed someone to give us some robes and then caused the other members of the crew to uh, be the distraction by cutting their ropes off the tower that they were climbing on. Savage, but very clever, though. And I love the interactions afterwards with Dolph, who's also voiced by Phil Lamar, getting all kinds of mad at them because like, how dare you use us as bait? Even though Fairbanks comes in, he's just like, hey, no, we don't need to fight. It's not their fault that you got used like bait. (laughs) <laughs> because you know that's what we did <laughs> oh it's Fairbanks leaves a really good impression I'm spoiler alert I'm a little bummed that he got killed off but we'll have to see if that happens because you know sometimes you could pull off like a crazy twist of him actually coming back alive and I like the voice cast like we've mentioned Kimberly Brooks Matthew Mercer Ashley Birch Sumali Motano Phil Lamar Keston John are great Josh Keaton, Zara Fazal, and for the most part, that's pretty much it. They, For some reason, the cast is kept very small, and you have characters playing multiple roles, like both major and minor, which I thought was interesting. Like, I don't know if this was a production thing to keep costs down, but I mean, like, hey, you got good ones who do have the range and the brevity to play multiple different characters. That is true. These are pretty top shelf talent. But yeah, then like after they take care of the dragon and such, I'm not going to say this is on the same level as like Castlevania season one, where, which, you know, that was, I don't know if you've seen the original one where it was only four episodes and it ends with the main party being formed to take down Dracula. And it's like, wait, that's it. <laughs> you took all this time to make Castlevania work and you only give us four episodes. Of course, shortly after, like a few months later, we got part two and what have you. But the point is, like, it does end on like a pseudo, not fully satisfying note. But it, that also is probably me being like, well, now I want more. I think for me, that's mostly my takeaway is just, I just want more. Because at least while you could argue that a lot of what happens in these first episodes is set up for a larger story, at least it doesn't completely waste your time. Like, they keep the momentum going. Like, for what it is, it's a lot of fun. If you like the Witcher series, if you like Studio Mir-inspired series, and you're wanting to watch something until Vox Machina comes out by the time this podcast comes out with its second season, I'd recommend it. If you're a fan of Dragon Age, I'd check it out. I don't remember how good the CGI film they made back then. Dawn of the Seeker? Yeah, but I imagine it's probably better than that. I mean, that was a weird time for EA. They would love to make a bunch of films, like tie-ins for for their big game releases. And then they stopped doing that when they realized, like, you know what? We don't need to be spending this money to make films that aren't all that great. (laughs) well though the dante's inferno one was interesting it was like an anthology series with a bunch of different animation directors we'll have to probably take a look at that on like a fresh takes or something but for now 
yeah, like go check out Dragon Age Absolution. Gotta go fast because we will be talking about Sonic Prime and the newest CGI animated series by Wild Brain Studios developed by Man of Action, which I'm sure if you are an animation person, you have heard that team before. They're kind of like Clamp, a collective group of creatives that are behind some very iconic stuff, including Ben 10 and the short-lived Generator Rex and the Big Hero 6 animated series. And I think the movie too. They wrote the comic too. Yeah, and they also worked on like Ultimate Spider-Man and the Avengers Earth Mightiest Heroes, which, man, that was such a good take on the characters. I loved that show. I'm sorry it only lasted two flipping seasons. And this is also another one of those seasons where it's like there's a lot of buildup and they end on a cliffhanger that's maybe not the most fulfilling. But... I'll say this, I like this more than Sonic Boom. I know a lot of people love to share out-of-context clips of Sonic Boom because it's just like exactly what kind of jokes they got away with from that show. And there were a lot of funny jokes. If you just watched compilations of all the humor from that show, it looked like it was a blast. The problem was every episode was not as funny. <laughs> like you would get like scattered humor all over the show, even though you had a pretty great voice cast. And with this one, I felt like, well, at least they're not basing this off of anything like the recently released game or what have you. It's its own show by Wild Brain, Man of Action, and Marza Animation Planet, which did, I think, a lot of the CGI cutscenes for the Sonic games. That makes a lot of sense. I thought this was pretty good. I've always had a mixed reaction to Sonic media and such. I wouldn't say like I hated any of it, but I wouldn't say I love it either. I'm kind of in the middle. There's some Sonic media out there that's like the two shows that I always go to as like kind of the gold standard are Sonic Set AM and the Japanese version of Sonic X. From what I can tell, four kids real like really took a bite out of the third season. <laughs> so yes, if you want to watch that completely uncensored, you'll have to find it somehow. But I think Discotech might be releasing the Japanese version. Oh, good. I think, but don't take my word for that. I'm trying to remember which Sonic announcement this was, because that's what they did with the Shaman King series. You can buy the 4Kids version or the uncut Japanese version. Because, you know, 4Kids, they loved to pick apart those shows. So basically, the plot is... After, like, so Sonic, Knuckles, Tails, Amy, and Roos the Bats, and Big, the cat. Which, that's interesting. I never quite expected, like, Big the cat and Rouge the bat to play more, like, story-driven roles in this show. Just because they weren't really major characters. They were, like, major secondary characters, but not, like, the main core trio uh, or quad cast of, like, you know, Sonic. Tails, Knuckles, and Amy. So after a fight with Dr. Eggman, Sonic recklessly shatters the Paradox Prism, a crystalloid artifact with reality-bending powers, which destroys the universe and creates the 
Shatterverse, a void where each shard of the prism forms an alternate dimension inhabited by alternate versions of Sonic's friends called a Shatter Space, where he individually does not exist. Seeking to restore the universe, Sonic ventures into each of the perilous worlds to restore the artifact while combating the Chaos Council. A group of Dr. Eggman variants who seek to conquer these new worlds and collect the fragments for their nefarious purposes. So basically this this is kind of like Flashpoint meets It's a Wonderful Life, where all of these different shatter spaces that Sonic enters are places where he doesn't exist. It is kind of fun to see like all these different variations of the characters like first off let's talk about the voice cast because i want to get them out of the way because if people were not expecting this or not but the voice cast production here is from canada so expect a a lot of these to be you know from like canadian dub casts and crews and such like devin mack who voices Sonic the Hedgehog. Like, you would have seen him if you watched, like, Transformers Bot Bots or Angry Birds Summer Madness. Among a few other things, like some small, more children-aimed Marvel content. But if you're a My Little Pony fan, like from the previous incarnation, not the newest one, you would recognize about half of these people, or at least the ones who played Tails, Amy, and Rouge, which is very amusing because I know Ashley Ball Like, I recognized her instantly, and she does a good job of, like, capturing uh, Tails' childlike innocence, but also... The edgier side of him. Yeah. And if you watched, like like I said, if you watched My Little Pony from 2010, she voices Rainbow Dash and Applejack. And, I mean, that's going to be a thing with these Canadian dub productions. You're going to see, like a lot of the same people in all of these projects and such. Like Shannon Chan Kent, who plays Amy Rose in all of her variants, was Pinkie Pie from My Little Pony. So it's like a partially pseudo reunion for a lot of these characters, which is like fun if you're like a voice acting person, like a fan and such. And like Kazumi Evans is also from My Little Pony. She played Rarity and such. Brian Drummond... I think was the biggest surprise for me for who took over because like Mike Pollock was like the Dr. Eggman voice. So to see someone else take control of him was a little jarring at first, but I think he captures Dr. Eggman's mannerisms very well. There's nothing wrong. It's just different. You know, I think what's fun about Brian Drummond voicing dr eggman is he's so good at playing a villain obviously if you grew up a child in the 90s you know him as the original english voice for vegeta so right i just got pretty excited when i found out that he was the one voicing dr eggman yeah and just thinking oh okay no they're they're in good hands yeah no brian drummond has been around for like ages you'll have seen him in one thing or another like i thought devin mack does a good job capturing sonic's like smart aleckness and though i have to say knuckles got like knuckles voice actor is adam Nirata, and like adam brings like this imposing strong will to knuckles which is kind of odd because he doesn't play all the other variations of knuckles throughout the rest of the show, which I think is interesting because Vincent Tong is like someone you'll see pop up throughout 
this whole show because he plays like the renegade knuckles from the post-apocalyptic world he's also dr don't the you know teenage emo version of dr eggman he's also dr babble and dr deep yeah and it's very interesting to see how the voice cast is handled here but i thought like they all did a good job and like ian hanlon is great as shadow he he's not kirk thornton in terms of the voice performance and like listen i love kirk thornton he's like one of my favorite voice actors he's probably one of the most prolific anime voice actors of all time so you've heard him in like everything but i thought ian Hanlon did a great job with like he doesn't focus on shadows like more angsty side like shadow i think was handled pretty well here because you could easily write him off as like the angsty rival to sonic he's playing kind of a similar version of shadow from like sonic x where he's an anti-hero but he's still mostly on the right side exactly i did love that little moment where sonic was just like and look at that he's wearing gates or something like that and then he's like they're air shoes <laughs> it just be like the power of that statement it's like okay <laughs> don't hurt me but so a lot of what is at the core of this take of like this story of sonic is how sonic has treated the world around him and his friendship with the different characters it's almost kind of like puss in boots from the recent puss in boots the last wish in some regards he took a lot of the friendship and his actions for granted and throughout the different universes that he travels to though in these first eight episodes there's only three which is like the blade runner robot sci-fi world the jungle world and then the pirate world and he sees like the different variations of his own consequences of his actions like he sees a world of like yeah what happens if miles didn't or you know tails did not know sonic what kind of character would he be and i think that's way more compelling of a story than most of these sonic shows tend to get it's a lot more character driven yeah i found a lot of sonic's like interactions with these variants like compelling and kind of like sonic Am, which is a more subtle environmental message this is kind of like you know don't take your friends for granted appreciate what you have around you don't just rush into things etc etc even like when he's like sees kind of like what these characters turn out to be in like the different worlds like rouge and Re- knuckles are rebels amy rose got turned into a robot though i will say her interactions with the pirate amy rose are probably some of the best moments of the show yeah those were great and i liked seeing all these different takes on dr eggman i'm not entirely sure how he did this with all the powers and such like how he became five different versions of himself or like he pulled from them maybe i'm not sure they don't really explain exactly what fully happened of how he pulled it off because like you could tell like dr deep is from the pirate world you can see that like like mr dr eggman and dr dunnett are probably from the post-apocalyptic robot world 
But then you see like Dr. Don't and Dr. Babble in. I'm curious to know, like when we get more episodes, where their story is going. Or like if they have like a world that they were pulled from and what have you. Now I'm just imagining one of the shattered spaces being like the Muppet Babies equivalent. Oh God. (laughs) (laughs) Oh gosh. I don't know. That could be a disaster or that could be like the most amusing thing if this team was given the time and to flesh that out. But what's interesting is that not everything that happens in these other universes was because of Sonic, like the jungle verse. You find out that the big villain was not Dr. Eggman or anything like that. It was, thorn rose this universe's version of amy rose who became highly aggressive and territorial of the food that's in that world because of the twist that you find out that like knuckles rouge tails and big the cat were taking more than they should have like what was that quote from uguay from kung fu panda 3 it's like the more you take the less you have something like that i think that's what it was anyway And she was just like, no, I'm going to attack y'all every time you try to come down here to get food. And just to see Sonic, like, instead of just, like, going fast and beating everything up and such, having to go and take an alternate route to solving the problem, which is kind of goes against Sonic, like, in terms of gameplay design and such, because it's all about going fast, and yet the game's like, oh, no, you got to stop for a moment. It's like, no (laughs) anyway like i thought it was very entertaining to see these different worlds i wish they had more time to go into other dimensions than just the three that we see but i'm glad that don't have to like repeat from step one every time he goes into a new world they just literally zip by it and say like okay that's what happened let's move the story forward i like that too like once he's like kind of moving in his journey they don't waste too much time like explaining things it's just like here quick run through and you're all caught up pretty much i'm curious to see what happens because the show ends on a cliffhanger like story-wise like after sonic realizes like yes i could start over on a new universe with sci-fi tales but like i need to fix the mistakes i made for the world i messed up and you find out that like shadow was he was stuck between the, the space between spaces and then at the end tells sonic like yeah there's no world to come back to because you ruined it so i definitely want to see where the story goes and i want to see where like or what other universes they created because apparently the, it's a 24 episode order. I mean, we'll see how that goes, but I'm sh- assume people are going to watch this like crazy because because it's Sonic. Let me yeah, for better or worse, Sonic has an undying fan base that's either going to be super supportive or super toxic at the same time. What fan base doesn't have those sides? Now, the animation. This is way better than what they did with Sonic Boom. And I'm not talking about the oh, they brought back the original designs and what have you. I liked the designs from Sonic Boom because like there's that great video done by New Frame Plus that goes over the evolution of the animation of Sonic and how the evolution of Sonic animation and how the designs like the ones used for Sonic Prime 
are maybe not the best or like the most intuitive in terms of really good animation. But the teams at Wild Brain and Marza Animation Planet, whatever they did, or like if they were given the time to actually like emote these character models more than usual, they look great. I mean, it has some of the same situations of like TV budget CGI and such, where a lot of things look flat. They rehash almost everything. Or like a lot of character models and such. But the characters here are probably the most expressive I've seen from the CGI jump. Even for a TV budget, this still has like enough style to keep it going. Like you said, the characters are very expressive. All of their body movements are very kind of unique. I like how Sonic's ears will kind of wiggle whenever he's like in a very emotional state. Right, right. Like there's more bounce, squash, and stretch with the character models this time around. But a good example of this is if you look at the sequence when Sonic is trying to apologize to Tails and then Rouge comes in to tell them what's going on. And you see Sonic being like, yeah, but the thing I want to know about is how did you get in here? And Rouge just kind of looks dumbfounded by them. She's like, you left the door open. (laughs) (laughs) And it shows humor is kind of hit and miss, but there are definitely a few good zingers here and there spread throughout the show itself. That's definitely one of them. And like, it's really good. It's just kind of hard to know exactly what to criticize it for because the story's not done and we know we're getting more episodes. I would like to see what happens next. Honestly, my one criticism, and it's not even fair to call it a criticism because I think Shadow is portrayed really well despite his limited screen time. It's just... I want to see more of him. Yes, Shadow is kept out of the runtime a lot. He really only shows up like in little bits and pieces in like the first two episodes. And then like every time Sonic is traversing the different universes, he shows up like Sonic, Sonic, Sonic. And then like, oh, well, new universe. And yeah, no, it's it would have been interesting to see him more in the show. But we're going to find out soon exactly what he's been doing when we get this next batch of episodes, which I'm sure will be in like a few months because, you know, Netflix does see make a bunch of episodes and then pick them apart and say that they're season one, two, three, what have you. I'm going to guess that we're going to probably get episodes nine through 16 in like May or June. And then November, December, we'll get the last batch. It'll be interesting to see because this one's one's more story-driven than the previous incarnation, like the previous show and such. And like the Sonic X anime only got more story progressive as time went on because otherwise it was mostly a retelling of the Sonic Adventure games. Yeah, no, I was weary about it, but, but they announced the Sonic Prime show right when Netflix was doing their first big purge of like animation cancellations. It's a shame because as we talk about this, Netflix was recently doing yet another round of animation cancellations. And then right after that, they announced that Elvis animated series that Sony's putting out on Netflix. And I felt bad about 
Sonic and that Elvis show getting the like the scapegoat like oh yeah we canceled all this stuff but here look Sonic y'all love Sonic right and like at first I was kind of annoyed but that's because emotions were running high back then when we first got our like official tease of Sonic Prime and as time went on it was just like you know what like these other shows and these production teams it's not their fault what Netflix is doing like it sucked like do not blame Sonic Prime for everything that got canceled last year and don't blame the Elvis show for the cancellations that happened recently Netflix is going through a lot but as we try to tell people like every time this conversation comes up you have to support what is on the service now because that will determine what we get more of in the future and it keeps these people working it does and then there's just the frustration of this like oh this could be the biggest thing ever and then they still pull the plug so it's like netflix we don't know what you want (laughs) like stop relying on that freaking algorithm you can't be doing that anymore but that's on them and not on people like who made like the kung fu panda or sonic stuff so like would you recommend this show to people like not just sonic fans but like people who are like huh i've never watched any of the previous sonic incarnations actually yes it does seem like a show that's maybe a little bit more geared towards people who are at least casually familiar with sonic lore but because it's also not like a direct adaptation you can go into this one cold and be just fine. Yeah, no, it's interesting to see what they do because like Rouge in previous incarnations was very much like, oh, I'm the Koi thief. She was like the Lupin, the third of the series. She kind of did her own thing and then just got paired up with Shadow the Hedgehog and whatever because they needed someone to be with Shadow the Hedgehog. I want to see what else they do and I want to see if what would will happen when Sonic or if Sonic ever goes back to the original home world that he's from. One last thing I'll mention, if you're a fan of any of the modern Sonic comics, apparently Ian Flynn is a creative consultant on this show. That gives a little bit more credibility. No, that makes a lot of sense. I don't think it was my favorite show from last year. I still think Box Machina was my favorite show from last year, next to Bee and Puppycat. But definitely... Like, Sonic Prime was very good. That's really it for our catch-up. There weren't really that many movies to catch up on. We're going to be talking about New Gods, Yang Jian, as part of its own review, along with The Amazing Maurice, because it's going to be playing at Sundance. Look forward to those later down the road. But next week, we will be doing our animation guide of what's to come of 2023 where we talk about what's been officially confirmed to come out, what is listed as coming out in 2023. And then of course our hopeful, like, I hope this comes out like, or gets brought over this year for, you know, foreign film distribution. That's what we got coming up for the future. But until then, Cameron, where can everyone find you online? You can find me on Twitter and hive at cams. I have a website called camsiview.biz where I review animated films and shows from around the world called The Other Side of Animation. I also have a Patreon at patreon.com slash camsiview. 
That's where you can find me. And you guys can find me on Twitter and Hive at CaptainK42. You can check out my quick thoughts on letterbox.com slash CoachK42. And you can follow Renegade Pop Culture on Facebook and Twitter at Ren Pop Culture. We're also on YouTube, on Podchaser, on the Banana Meter. Listen to all of our podcasts on Anchor, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, etc. And last but not least, everything can be found at RenegadePopCulture.com. You can escape, so do we. That'll do it for this episode of Renegade Animation. We will catch you guys later. Peace out.